This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. I'm Mike Agarbo, your host. We have got an awesome show for you today. So much tech to talk about uh, later on in the program. We'll find out about space printers. Yes, printers uh, actually go into space as well, to the International Space Station. What kind of things have to be done to make those things work? We'll be talking with Brian Jackson from IT World Canada all about that. We hear a lot about self-driving cars, uh, Tesla, all the big manufacturers now, Audi, Mercedes, Ford, are all developing them as well. Is the Canadian government ready for this? Well, we'll be talking with uh, Manny Kovacs about a new report uh, by the Senate here in Canada on what needs to be done. We'll also be uh, chatting uh, with our friend Igor Bonifacic about uh, a new money grab from Rogers and Fido. You'll want to stay tuned for that if you do any international or U.S. traveling. And uh, we'll be uh, talking with Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup about uh, the CRTC and piracy. Some of the big uh, players out there, Rogers, Bell, CBC, Cineplex, are petitioning the CRTC to crack down on piracy and set up... uh, a new uh, foundation to look after that. We'll find out what that's all about. Let's start, though, with Internet safety. Did you know this Tuesday, February 6th, is Safer Internet Day, an annual global initiative which aims to promote safer and more responsible use of online technology and mobile phones. Google and its team of security ninjas, a team of unsung heroes that you may not know about, work around the clock to keep you and your family safe on the World Wide Web. On the line right now, we have Alexandra Hunnings-Klein from Google. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, Safe Internet Day. Obviously, uh, the Internet is uh, in everything we do nowadays. We're connected to so many devices, uh, even our mobile phones. Why should we be concerned about Internet safety? I think anybody who uses uh, the web, you know, there's all kinds. It, it, it's an open space. It's a, it's a space where sort of um, a lot, a lot can go on. I think parents listening to this will be sort of, you know, especially keen to note the different ways to keep yourself safe. Uh, one of the ways when we think about think about the way you use your email, I think about the way uh, that you communicate. There's all kinds of ways that can, to keep yourself safer that Canadians. Um, can tap into. Uh, when you think about, for example, Gmail, you think about the different security measures. Um, you know, every so often you're, you're, as you sign in, you're encouraged to go through and sort of do, go through these basic updates. And oftentimes people find these, uh, you know, irritating or time consuming, um, but they're free and they're excellent ways to keep yourself uh, safe online. And when we talk about that, we're talking about avoiding malware. We're talking, and you know, malware gets on your computer. They're essentially viruses. They essentially sort of hijack your computer, um, and then you're just not able to use it the way that you would like to. They tend to slow the computer down or to add pop-ups. And so, you know, we use, you know, we think about Internet Safety Day, Safer Internet Day, rather, to really say to people, listen, there are so many free tools out there. It may seem annoying in the moment, but absolutely cue into them because they're, they're probably going to make your laptop or computer actually last longer. Well, we look at so many uh, tools that people use to access the Internet. You mentioned one, Gmail. Uh, obviously, we browse the uh, Internet. Uh, I do, like, thousands of times a day. I use Google Chrome. Um, yeah. But a lot of people don't realize that you can actually uh, inadvertently get malware into your system by, by just visiting malicious websites. That's right. And I think, you know, you mentioned this in your introduction, but one of the, the great Canadian stories uh, that ties into Safer Internet Day is that we've got this amazing team 
uh, of engineers, largely based in Montreal, uh, and they keep billions of people safe around the world. They're on the cutting edge of learning about all of the new malware, the viruses, um, unwanted software. These are all, for those who don't know, these are all sort of different things that get in your computer and can slow them down. And they're constantly finding ways of mitigating that. And the reason we sort of, you know, you mentioned them as sort of ninjas is they're, they have to be super reactive and they have to really be um, on the ball. Uh, and it's also a time, I think, to sort of reflect and, and realize that most of the tools online have ways now for parents to uh, control how their kids are using the Internet or to at least have some kind of oversight. If you think about, for example, YouTube Kids um, or you think about sort of different measures that are out there, we just really want to use this opportunity to remind people that there's so many things we've done proactively to say, hey, listen, you know, we, we put our users first, first, we value their safety, take a little more time and read up about the security measures that are just at, literally at your fingertips and will make your time online a lot more pleasant. We're talking with Alexandra Hunnings-Klein from uh, Google about uh, Safer Internet Day coming up here on Tuesday, February 6th. What are some tools that uh, people at home can use to have a safer Internet experience? Well, you know, you just mentioned Chrome. We were talking a bit about Gmail. Uh, the tools are literally sort of, if you look at the top uh, top of the screen, you can just queue down, go into settings, and just update. I mean, I wish I had sort of a more sort of fleshed out story <laughs> here, but if you just update and you and you sort of you take those updates seriously, you are going to avoid yourself a lot of problems. And I think, you know, many people who are listening to this or anybody who's quite honestly owned a mobile phone uh, because you have malware on your phone as well, um, you know, you've probably experienced the slow, your phone slowing down. And so this is, you know, if you really, we're just sort of, we're, we're shouting from the, from the mountaintops to say, listen, um, we do a ton of work. We invest, you know, a lot of resources. We've got some of the greatest minds, uh, making sure that you're able to sort of go through your internet experience in a pleasant and easy and safe way. And we encourage you to, to just do the update, um, to go through and, and add in what you need to, the information that you need to add in. Um, in order to have a smoother time online. What about this uh, Google security checkup? What's that all about? So this is this is essentially uh, an area uh, within Gmail um, where you're able to sort of go through and say, you know, have I updated my passwords? You think about, think about, this is a pretty relatable anecdote. I mean, you've gone onto someone else's computer, you've signed into Gmail, and you want to, and then you say, oh my God, I, have, I forgot to sign out. Once you've gone through security checkup, you can, you can log out from another device. Um, and so this allows you this, this, the checkup is literally sort of clearly sort of like a doctor's checkup. It's a way of making sure your devices are all safe um, and queued together. And, and also, the, you know, this allows the, the more sort of that you engage with this, the more that our engineers can learn and can, you know, they sort of get these updates and they're able to say, okay, this is an issue. This isn't an issue. Um, but I think, you know, we really take for granted the work that these guys do. Um, if our, com- our, our computers are notably um, faster than they have been in the past. And part of that, which many people don't know, is due to the fact that we've learned to sort of fight malware in a better and more efficient way. You talked about mobile phones, too. I mean, those are essentially computers in our pocket. Uh, how prevalent of a, a problem is malware on, on phones now? Um, it, it's prevalent. I have it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That I'm calling. Um, you know, you go to a website. It could be any kind of website. It doesn't have to be sort of a nefarious website or a scandalous website. And it could be packed with, with malware. And, and you've got to update your phone um, constantly. You've got to make sure that you're engaged there. I mean, it's anybody who's received a text message saying they've won a cruise or that they've won a big prize 
I really hope you did win a cruise or you did win a big prize, but chances are you probably didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so those are the kind of things, you know, as indications. And I'm thinking of people that maybe don't think about tech all the time. You might have, you know, these are, think about robocalls, but you're getting them in the form of, of, of um, spam emails or of texts that really don't make sense. Um, and these are ways, uh, these are just some examples of how malware can affect your phone. Where can people find out more information about uh, Safer Internet Day, Alexander? Um, so you can go to the Google Canada blog, uh, and you'll be able to find more information on, on there. Um, or what I really encourage, you know, beyond just the day itself, I really encourage folks to uh, look at their email, go into settings, and look at all the options available under security and privacy, and then and, and really consider which ones work for them. Um, most of them are pretty innocuous, and the best part is it doesn't take any time. Thanks so much for joining us today, Alexandra. Thank you so much. That was Alexandra Hunnings-Klein from Google talking about Safer Internet Day here, February 6th. That's a a Tuesday, but uh, you know what? It should be Safer Internet Day every day. Always make sure that uh, you're updating uh, all your internet tools like your browser and your different email programs uh, as well. When we come back from the break, there's still a lot more to talk about uh, on Get Connected here. We'll be chatting with Rose Bahar about uh, a new coalition A group of more than 25 organizations, including Bell, Rogers, Quebec Corps, and the CBC, have come together to urge Canada's telecom regulator, the CRTC, to create an anti-piracy website blocking system. Should the government be blocking websites for us? Well, we'll find out all about that when you come back. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We're broadcasting live across Canada today. We still have a lot more tech to talk. Do you travel? Do you roam with your phone? Well, there's been some great plans uh, from the carriers that let you uh, use your existing number uh, fairly inexpensively. Well, uh, Rogers announced this week that they're raising the price uh, on their roam-like home. We'll find out more details uh, on that because they need to make more money, right? Uh, We'll also be talking uh, with uh, our friend Manny Kovacs about... uh, a new report from the Senate on self-driving cars here in Canada and what we need to do to be prepared for that. And at the end of the program, space printers, HP uh, sending printers to the International Space Station. Right now, though, I want to talk about a new coalition. It's Fair Play Canada. You can see it up at uh, fairplaycanada.com. They're made up of 25 organizations, Bell, Rogers, CBC, Cineplex, and they want to uh, have the CRTC regulate uh, a, a new independent agency called the Independent Piracy Review Agency that would identify websites that are blatantly engaged in content theft. On the line, uh, we've got our good friend Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup. Thanks for joining us today, Rose. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you did an excellent article up on mobilesyrup.com uh, about this. Uh, what, are we, what are we looking at here? Uh, I always get little uh, alarm bells when uh, Bell and Rogers are trying to look after my best interest. So the group wants Canada's telecom regulator, the CRTC, to create an independent agency that would identify these piracy sites and blacklist them from, with the help of internet service providers like Bell and Rogers themselves. Which they happen um, to be, coincidentally, yes. <laughs> they happen to be, and they also happen to own quite a lot of media content. So right there, there's some alarm bells. Um, and so that means blocking those sites from the public. The group's argument is that piracy is a major issue, and this sort of tool is the only effective way to get rid of these illegal sites. But critics of Fair Play are saying that there is already a process for getting pirated content taken down and that this tool is so overreaching, 
it could threaten net neutrality. Has this coalition given any indication of uh, how big they think the problem is? They think it's a major issue, and that is one of the main conflicting points between the coalition, which includes CBC and ACTRA, and um, between the critics. So many critics are saying, um, by all indications, piracy has gone down since the rise of digital subscription services like Netflix and Spotify and Apple Music. Um, So... But, of course, any piracy is an issue, no matter how widespread it might be. It's just looking at whether um, the issue, how big and large scale it is, and what is the appropriate response. So some have likened this tool to going after a mosquito with a machine gun. <laughs> I, I would have to ag- agree with that. Um, but, you know, I, I find it uh, interesting. Like, these guys, uh, you know, the Bells and Rogers of the world, uh, they are already making a truckload of money. Like, our Internet service fees are some of the highest in, in the world. Uh, they're also making money off their broadcast and media properties. Uh, is this just another way to increase their profits? Um, it does seem like it would be a, a tool that any media owner would want, the ability to um, really, without any judicial oversight, get rid of things that, that harm their potential to make more money. So it makes sense. Um, but, of course, that's that's part of the issue, the lack of judicial oversight. Like The agency, uh, they say, would block a site, and the only recourse would be to appeal that decision in the courts. So it's kind of a guilty until proven innocent um, method, which is is generally not how things are done through law, and that's what people are really taking issue with. Why? Why now? I mean, this has been an issue that's uh, come up many times. Uh, you know, obviously there's laws uh, in place. Why do you think they're they're going after this now? It's been something that Bell has has generally taken the lead on and has been uh, uh, trying to go for for a while. Um, we've seen an earlier draft uh, that, before many others had signed on with Bell, uh, was leaked through Canada Land, and we also saw Bell try to um, do this approach through NAFTA negotiations. So it's something that they've, I think, been concerned about for quite a while. Um, now we have to see what are the next steps. Um, so far, the CRTC uh, hasn't given any response. They haven't started a consultation yet, but that would be the next step. They would start a consultation, and then people would be able to weigh in, including the public. And who's going to pay for this? Say, for example, they get this all up and going. They've got this new uh, organization that uh, goes after pirate websites uh, run by the CRTC, or it's an independent agency, sorry. Is that us, the taxpayer? Will they be paying for it, like the Rogers and Bells? Well, I mean, it's a really good question. I don't think there's a whole lot of detail surrounding that yet. It would be an independent agency under the CRTC as far as uh, as, as they've proposed it. So we would uh, guess it would be federally funded. Um, but, of course, who would be on that agency? There's a, a question of um, who is appointing the people to that agency and, and where is the full funding coming from? So those are details that... I don't think they've really proposed yet. Um, it's just the overall uh, sort of the overall idea generally has been put forth, but the details aren't really there yet. As a taxpayer, I'm excited about the uh, idea that the government's going to be using my money to block what websites that I can go to. <laughs> I mean, it's it's for a lot of consumers and not just consumer advocates. It's been a, a tough pill to swallow. Just 
seeing this proposal uh, because a lot of people are very concerned that it could be a slippery slope. Um, sure, you're able to take down uh, illegal sites without judicial oversight today, but um, which sites classify uh, within those standards? And especially if you're not having courts look over uh, exactly what those standards are, before they're taken down, it's it's a uh, it's a very dangerous and perhaps slippery slope. So a lot of people have been objecting to it so far. Talking with Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup, all about the new Fair Play Canada coalition uh, petitioning to have a new independent organization set up to go after pirate websites. But you know, Rose, you're you're kind of techie as well. I mean, sure they can start blocking some of these websites, but it's kind of like whack a mole, isn't it? These websites will just pop up somewhere else. Well, that's the other issue. If um, this sort of blacklisting does actually come into force, how effective will it be? There's many different methods and ways that people can get around uh, these sorts of, of blocks. And we've seen that in other countries that do have systems uh, a little bit more like this. So it's, it, will it even be effective if it isn't stated? That's a, that's a question to think about. And then, of course, that would be a tool that would be federally funded and would still be uh, getting subverted because there will always be people out there who are able to work around the system. And, and many people are saying that the easiest way to, to get rid of piracy or minimize it as much as possible is to just make uh, diff- legal access easier and uh, inexpensive so that people can actually access the things they, they want to see. We see that with Netflix. There's very little interest in pirated conflict, uh, pirated content from Netflix because it's already easy to get. Talking with Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup. Thanks for joining us today. When we come back, Rome Like Home, a popular uh, Rogers uh, program for international U.S. travelers, getting a big, huge price increase. What's it all about? Stay tuned. We'll let you know. You're back with Get Connected. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo. We're live across Canada here on the Chorus Radio Network. Rogers increases the international roam-like home service fee to $12 per day from $10 per day. It's something uh, that I use uh, a lot when I'm uh, traveling. Uh, When I was over in the UK, it uh, saved me a lot of money and uh, grief as well. I could use my existing uh, phone number and roam over there, uh, again, for essentially $10 a day. And it capped out at 10 days per billing cycle. So if I was there for a month, it only added up to about $100. Well, Rogers uh, now is changing all that. On the line, we've uh, got our friend Igor Bonifacic, uh, again from Mobile Serb. Thanks for joining us, Igor. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, looks like Rogers needs more money. Yeah, I think um, that's a safe bet. Um, you know, <laughs> so often, I think, you know, obviously, Rogers is a publicly traded company, and they have shareholders to appease, and I guess there might have been some pressure to get uh, even more out of what are already some very, like, excellent customers for Rogers. They give the company so much. So let's look at the numbers here. Um, before, in the good old days, uh, it was $10 a day to roam um, internationally in uh, a select number of countries, quite a few actually. And uh, the $10 a day would allow you to basically do unlimited calling and texting, and you'd be able to use your existing data from your data plan. Uh, but now that has increased to $12 a day, and they're increasing how many days before it caps out from 10 to 15, which makes a big difference, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I think, you know, what might happen in, for some people in, uh, under the current new scheme is that, you know, it's per billing cycle. It's not per month, right? So if your billing cycle resets halfway through the month, what could happen is in, instead of paying the maximum of like 180, you could pay, be, uh, be paying double that, right? Um, if, depending on when your, as I said, when your billing cycle resets. So there is a lot here, I think, that, it, you know, Rome Like Home, when it came out, it was unprecedented in Canada. It was like so compelling of a roaming offer compared to what we had in the past. And now, like, it's lost a lot of its luster. Uh, you mentioned at the start of the show that you're a Rogers customer. I'm a Fido customer, so they have the same thing. And now I'm like, mm, do I have to start looking at what kind of, like, you know, SIMs, getting a SIM when I'm traveling somewhere else, um, and all these kind of other options. We should also mention that the rate, or sorry, the uh, limit is also going up in the U.S. So it used to be, it's uh, in August, it went up from $5 to $6. And then this time it went from 10 days to 15 days. So you're also looking at it being more expensive than the U.S. You know, just when I thought I was getting a good deal, they come and just <laughs> crush all all my dreams. Like, it, honestly, uh, the price increase, especially when they cap it at 15 days, is enough for me to not want to use it and just get a SIM card where I'm going. Right. So it, like, it almost doubled, right? Because of the, uh, cap increase. So it's gone up. If you use it the full, like, length of, or the full 15 days, you're paying $180, where previously you would have paid $100. That's, you know, significant to the point where I think, like you said, you start looking at the other options. And, you know, what Rome Like Home always had going for it is, it is, is like so simple, right? Like when you land, you just get a text message from Rogers or Fido and they tell you, hey, you're all set, use your data bucket, use your uh, calling and texting, and you have the same number. The SIM, you know, like uh, an alternate SIM is like a lot, can be a lot more affordable, but then you got like a new number, you got to fiddle with these small micro SIMs that you can easily lose. Um, so I, I feel like I feel for everyone that's going to be using this service because I feel like you're going to be in such a bind. Well, Good news for the Rogers shareholders because they'll be making more money. So again, affects uh, Rogers and Fido, and uh, can't really go anywhere else because uh, Bell and Telus their pricing is similar, isn't it? Well, it's funny you should mention that because the day after uh, uh, Bell raised its um, prices for uh, uh, Rome Better and Rome Sweet Rome, which is their daily uh, roaming offer, uh, they raised the U.S. prices from uh, five dollars per day to six dollars per day. Um, and then $6 to $7, I believe, for uh, when you use your uh, data bucket. So, yeah, so exactly like you said, even if you were now wanted, if you did want to move, um, the options aren't great. Uh, somehow in all of the shuffle, TELUS came out the best. Now their uh, daily roaming offer internationally is the most compelling <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah, this week, exactly. <laughs> We're talking with Igor Bonifacic from Mobile Syrup. Uh, if you want to learn all about uh, the latest in uh, mobile news, texts, and trips, uh, tips, sorry, uh, check it out. Thanks for joining us, Igor. Thank you for having me. When we come back, is Canada ready to deal with self-driving cars? We'll find all about that with Manny Kovacs from IT World Canada. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We're broadcasting live across Canada here on the Chorus Radio Network. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, 
We've got uh, lots of uh, tech content up there, the latest videos, reviews, tips and tricks, and of course, uh, our weekly contest as well. We've got uh, great prizes all the time. Uh, Coming up in our next segment, uh, after this one, uh, we'll be talking about space printers. What do they have to do to make printers work in space? We'll find out from Brian Jackson. On the line right now, uh, we've uh, got a great guest. Her name is Mandy Kovacs, and uh, she is uh, covering uh, something very interesting. The the Senate Committee on Transport and Communication says Canada is ill-prepared for the fast-approaching new age of uh, autonomous vehicles. Thanks for joining us today, Mandy. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, before we even get into this report, uh, how soon do experts predict that uh, we'll see fully integrated autonomous vehicles uh, in in cities? Uh, well, there's a, a couple different reports, but this one in particular, um, it was talking with analysts, and they predicted within the next 10 to 15 years, uh, we're going to see autonomous vehicles widely used, uh, particularly in urban areas. So less so in rural, but uh, definitely within the city 10 to 15 years. So what was this Senate committee trying to figure out? Uh, They were really just looking at um, just the effect and the impact that autonomous vehicles could have on Canadian society. You know, they started investigating this March 2016, so it's been almost two years, uh, and they looked at some of the regulatory uh, and technical issues related to the deployment of these vehicles um, and how Canada can prepare for that. Because, I mean, as you uh, started off saying, they, they did say that Canada is ill-prepared for this. Uh, we're not ready for this new age of transportation. Uh, and a lot of things need to change. Very very kind of reactionary. I mean, autonomous, autonomous vehicles uh, are being widely tested now, and they could be hitting our roads in the next uh, few years. Uh, did they have any uh, recommendations? Yeah, so they actually put out 16 different recommendations. And I mean, I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but they all seem to focus a lot on collaboration, whether it's between um, Transport Canada and Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada um, to coordinate federal efforts. Um, There was also a lot of collaboration between provincial and territorial governments uh, with the federal and kind of lumping in the municipalities with that as well. They also suggested uh, working a lot more closely with the U.S., uh, through the Regulatory Cooperation Council, so that um, these vehicles could really operate seamlessly in both countries. Um, I, I did talk to Senator Denis Dawson, and he mentioned the, the bridge that's going to be built between Windsor and Detroit, and said that we, we need to start planning that now, because these vehicles will be driving across that every day, and they will be autonomous, or at the very least connected, and these bridges uh, you know, should be able to support that. What about security? Like, because these cars are essentially being run by computers uh, and they're connected, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that was definitely a big part of some of their recommendations as well. Uh, They suggested developing a cybersecurity guidance for the transportation sector uh, and looking at some of the best practices and and recognized principles within the cybersecurity industry uh, and how you can apply that to, you know, equipment and replacement equipment uh, and software updates. But then there was also a lot of focus on the need for privacy regulations, too, and actually balancing the security uh, with the privacy aspects, um, specifically for connected cars, because, I mean, those are already on our roads now, and autonomous vehicles a few years down the line. So they, they wanted to create sort of a framework that could balance those two uh, and to differentiate who would get access to that information and how it could be used um, by the manufacturers, by the government, by municipalities uh, that really set up this road infrastructure. 
It was interesting you talked about uh, engaging with provincial and territorial governments. Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to see this fragmented? Uh, will the federal government uh, be taking a, an overarching uh, you know, look at this here, or are we going to have to rely on like uh, every province to come up with their own regulations and standards? Well, Senator Dawson couldn't really, I guess, answer that question. He did say that he wanted the federal government to take a little bit of initiative on this in terms of starting the discussion, but I think eventually, yes, it would come down to provincial and territorial and even municipal level uh, to, to really figure out like the, the nitty-gritty details of guidance plans and frameworks for these types of cars. But it's going to be interesting, though, because most of this uh, innovation, you know, as far as the car manufacturers and, and what have you, really is coming out of the, the U.S. I, I guess we'd be basically copying what they come up with. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I do think that uh, here in Canada, we have a little bit of a different environment. Obviously, I think most of our country is pretty cold right now. Um, not to mention that we are, we have very dense uh, uh, population pockets. So we would need to have somewhat of a different system, at least going further north in the territories in northern Ontario, Alberta, Manitoba, all the different provinces. So we would need some sort of different um, setup than, than the U.S., but you're right. I mean, for the most part, we are very similar countries. Should we take comfort in the fact they're talking about it at least? <laughs> yes. I mean, the problem is that none of these discussions that they're recommending have actually started yet. And when I asked Senator Dawson if he has a timeline, he, he didn't really have one, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, these are just the recommendations they want to kind of spur the, the development of this, but right now no one has actually taken very much action other than what's being discussed already internally. Be interesting to see. I mean, these cars are already uh, on the road. Tesla's got their, uh, you know, uh, autonomous uh, modes. Uh, you know, they're also announcing, uh, you know, self-driving trucks as well. So, uh, I guess we better get on this, or we're going to be left behind. Uh, you know, compared to the U.S. Right, and it's interesting too because Uber actually set up their autonomous vehicle research center in Toronto as well. So they test, I think, around uh, the University of Toronto. So, I mean, yeah, we have that already in the city. And, I mean, Waterloo with BlackBerry is already working on it. There's an autonomous vehicle test center in Stratford that's been operating for the last couple of years. So, I mean, like, Toronto's going to see it all, probably sooner than the 10 to 15 years that a lot of analysts are even predicting. And so one of the recommendations with this, too, is that they want um, to update retraining skills and employment support for, I mean, the inevitable labor disruptions that, this, that these cars are going to cause. Um, so they're also trying to focus on, yeah, the human aspect of it and how that we uh, as workers can adapt. We're talking with Mandy Kovacs from IT World Canada. She's done an excellent article uh, covering uh, the Senate Committee on Transport and Communications uh, on this uh, report about autonomous vehicles. You can check it out at itworldcanada.com. Thanks for joining us, Mandy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking with Brian Jackson about space printers. What do they need to do to make printers work in space? You'll find out here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We're broadcasting live across the course radio network. Don't forget to listen to our sister show every Sunday here uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, The App Show. We talk about all the latest, greatest apps for smartphones, TVs, cars, and more. On the line, uh, we've got a resident space technology expert, Brian Jackson. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Glad to be back on Earth with you. <laughs> I wanted to uh, uh, chat with you. you uh, you've had an interesting uh, week uh, with uh, Hewlett-Packard uh, looking at uh, zero gravity and how technology uh, works there. 
Definitely. It was one of the most unique uh, experiences of my life, getting to go with uh, HP, a number of their executives and engineers, some other media too, on this zero gravity flight on Wednesday. So, uh, you know, for the first time in my life, certainly, I, I was able to experience weightlessness for uh, about seven minutes. So it was really exciting. Well, uh, Brian uh, writes for ITWorldCanada.com, and uh, you've actually uh, got a great article. I recommend people after the show go check that out. You've got some uh, some tips uh, for technology and, and zero gravity. Uh, yeah, what what are some of the main ones? For sure. Uh, it, I mean, I'm having some fun with it, and of course you can watch the video of what it's like to be on a zero gravity flight there too, so that's interesting because I was wearing GoPro cameras. Uh, so you can see exactly what it's like to float around weightless and then also be pressed into the ground as the plane accelerates and and you feel the force of 2G, so twice gravity, and you're pressed into the floor as uh, the the plane climbs up into the sky. But the the main tech tip I had there, uh, I noticed a lot of other people on the the trip uh, were bringing their smartphones with them. So first of all, I'd say leave your smartphone behind because you really... If you are going on one of these zero-gravity flights, you get this chance. You don't want to be wasting time framing selfies. You just want to experience it and try and get a sense of uh, what it really feels like. And, you know, do a somersault, do the Superman fly across the plane. (laughs) But if you do bring your smartphone, you can't resist the opportunity for a weightless selfie. Um, Then just turn off the auto-rotate feature because the accelerometer won't work. And when you're spinning your phone around from portrait mode to landscape mode, nothing will happen because, of course, the accelerometer depends on gravity to work. So that's what a number of people on my flight discovered. Brian, we just got a couple of minutes left here. Why are they doing this? Uh, Why are they showing technology in zero gravity? Yeah, so HP is sending a printer to the International Space Station, and they actually worked with the Canadian Space Agency to do some research in zero gravity. So... What happens is they get on a plane and it flies this parabolic flight path. So uh, 45 degrees straight up, then straight down. So by doing that, you have brief periods of zero gravity. And it's just like being on the International Space Station during that time. So HP loaded up four of its printers, so the same one that is sending to the International Space Station in a couple of months. And uh, they hit print during that waitlist period to see if it would work, and it did. So <laughs> everything checked out, and it's specially designed. You know, uh, they, they took all the glass out of it, for example. They have a special clip to hold the paper in place so it doesn't float around the space station. And, uh, yeah, they tested it, and, and it's all ready to go. <laughs> space printers from Hewlett-Packard. Brian, uh I, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, looks like we're out of time here. And uh, again, if you want to see more of uh, Brian's uh, work, you can check out itworldcanada.com. He's got an excellent article there about uh, zero gravity and space uh, printers. Don't forget to uh, visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. We've got all the latest, greatest tech tips and uh, product uh, reviews. Uh, we've got videos uh, and blogs there. And of course, please... Tune into our app show every Sunday here at 10 a.m. on CKNW 980. It's also across the Chorus Radio Network as well. We cover all the latest and greatest uh, apps out there and uh, a lot of uh, tips for smartphones as well, whether you're an iPhone user or Android uh, user as well. And uh, smart TVs, we've got all the latest and greatest apps for those too. 
That's all the time we have left. I want to thank Samir for helping me out on the controls and all the rest of the Get Connected crew back at the office. I'm Mike Agarbo, logging off. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.